And uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you have your phone with you, you can turn it on or open it up to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together in just a moment, but until we get there, if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. And one of the things you learn in seminary is a lot of acronyms and acrostics. And one of the best ones I learned is the five B's of preaching. The five B's of preaching really come in handy when you've got uh, a meal right after a service. Does anybody know the five B's of preaching? Be brief, brother, be brief. And so today, I will be brief because I know there's a hot dog meal waiting for you. And I know that many of us are uh, huddled in the shade. But before we get to the point of taking the Lord's Supper, there's just a few points that I want us to really get into our hearts and soak deep into our hearts. Uh, first of which is just the joy that it is to come outside and celebrate a service with you. Amen. I want to take just a bonus moment to say thank you. Last time we're out here was about eight months ago. And we were still in the midst of trying to figure everything out. It was very uncertain, and by no means did I think that we would be here uh, nine months later still waiting to get back into our sanctuary, but I want to commend you. Over the course of these nine, ten months that we have been doing what we've been doing, the, the number one request that I have received uh, more than any complaint, more than any grumbling about having to take your kids out of the back of Stakely, down the street here, around the corner, up the street into the Miller building, then back around, up the street, back up the hill, back into and around the building and to the other building to drop your other kids off. More than any complaint that I have received about senior adults having to stop outside of Stakely, go around the corner and wait on one elevator, I've not received the first complaint. All I've heard is, can we please go back outside and worship together? I, I want to commend you as a church for that. I don't take that lightly that you as a church would not uh, send your prayer cards up to me to say, hey, we've got to fix this. This is a problem. But you would say, please, can we go back outside and please, can we worship together all together outside as a faith family? And for me, I commend you deeply for being that kind of church, that kind of church that would roll with the punches and say, this is where we are. This is the difficulty of where we are. But we just want to be back together. And so I commend you. Let's continue being that type of church once we walk back into the main sanctuary, the kind of church that would be prepared and unified for whatever the Lord would take us to and wherever He would lead us. And so this morning, we come together to unify around the Lord's Supper, the resiliency of the church to be reminded of why we are here and our calling is to be founded in this that we're about to take. So let's take our attention to Exodus chapter 12. I believe in my life and ministry, there is no particular passages that I continue to come back to more than Exodus and the peoples fleeing from their captivity in Egypt. Now, if you'll be reminded of the circumstances behind Exodus 12, in which Moses is going to institute the Passover meal, you'll be reminded that for 40 years, the Israelites have prayed and cried out to God for their deliverance. Now, I want you to just think about that for a second, because oftentimes when we read scripture and we read that the Israelites cried out to God for 40 years, we often just read it as it's one sentence in our Bible and say, man, that's a long time. Good for them for keeping on crying out to the Lord. I'm 34 years old. That means that the Israelites from the time I was born and they're not done yet crying out to the Lord for their deliverance. My entire lifespan, the Israelites have been crying out to the Lord saying, God, deliver us out of captivity. This is hard. Lord, hear us and help us. And oftentimes we just read scripture and say, man, that was really quick. The Lord delivered them quickly. Look, it's just so, so fast. He just delivered them, right? But for 40 years, the Israelites cried out, Lord, help us. Deliver us from this captivity. This is hard, Lord. We need your help. We need your hope. Deliver us for 40 years. 
And you may look at it and say, well, God didn't hear him. God didn't know what was going on. God didn't deliver him from their pain for 40 years. But what you see is the back current of this story is God was raising up Moses, who would go to Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh to let his people go. The back current of the people praying was that God was raising up Moses for the time to lead the people out of their captivity. So as we get to Exodus 12, recognize that there have been 40 years of praying. There's been Moses floating downstream in the little basket. Y'all remember that? There's been 40 years of Moses preparing for the moment by which he would stand before Pharaoh. There's the burning bush. There's the plagues. Remember all the plagues, the, the water and the blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock being dead, the boils, the hail, the locusts, and the darkness. Y'all remember all that? There's been a lot going into GR to the, the Lord, bringing the people out of captivity and much that's gone into this moment in which this last and final plague would be instituted and Moses would set up the Passover feast. So let's turn our attention now to Exodus chapter 12. Let's start in verses 12 through 14 and then 26 through 27. Moses shares on God's behalf here, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all on the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. And you shall keep it as a feast. Moses would go on to share about what they would do on this day. And in verse 26, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? What do you mean by all this? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for when he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. Let's pray together for a moment. Dear Lord, would you open our hearts, instruct us in these next few moments. Teach us, shape us, and mold us more and more every day into your image. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now we recognize in Exodus chapter 12, Moses and the Passover has not happened yet. The Lord has not come over the firstborn of the households, but it's coming. And Moses recognizes that this will be a monumental day in the Israelites' history. This will be a day that will set them on the course for generations to come. And so he set up this meal to be a reminder of what has happened. Just like Ben told us just a moment ago that this memorial day that we set aside this day to remember those who have fought and sacrificed their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy. On a day like today, on this memorial day, we come together recognizing the joy that it is that we can be outside without fear or worry. And we can assemble together as a faith family, not worried about the reper repercussions, maybe but a little sunburn, of our gather together. Right? That's a joyous occasion. We set aside this day to celebrate those who have gone before us who have died fighting for that freedom. And Moses is setting aside a memorial day to remind them of this day and what it means. And what does this mean for a moment? Right? As they come and as they take the Passover meal, what is it supposed to jog their memories up? Right? Imagine for a moment the kids sitting around and they're asking, hey, why are we taking this fellowship meal? Why are we taking this meal? 
Imagine the mom and dad as they're sitting around talking to their kids. What do they say? What jogs their memory? Right? It jogs their memory first of their captivity. As they take the meal, as they take the Passover feast, it first reminds them that they were at one time captives to the Egyptians. And so for a moment, they're supposed to be reminded and they're supposed to remember of their captivity. Right? As they take the meal, they're reminded of the 40 years that they were enslaved, the difficulty of making the bricks and working on behalf of the Egyptians. They think about the 40 years they cry out to the Lord for their deliverance. So as they take the Passover meal, there's a portion of it that is spent to them lamenting and remembering their captivity. Reminding them there is a moment in their history in which they were captives to a captor. That they were slaved in Egypt and they cried out, Lord, would you deliver us? Would you help us? And so a part of this Passover meal is for their remembrance of their captivity. But it doesn't stay there, does it? As they take the Passover meal, they're to be too reminded of all that God did to deliver them from their captivity. Right? They're to be reminded of Moses being risen up for this moment. They're to be reminded of the plagues, of all that happened, all that God did to break them free of their bondage, all that God did to break them free and release them from their captivity. So in that moment, they're to be jogged their memory of their captivity, but also of their newfound freedom that they found through God's providence. And so here we stand at this moment about to take the Lord's Supper and in the very same ways we're to be reminded of our captivity. As we take these elements, we're to be reminded that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that we were slaves to sin. That without yeah. Christ, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. So as we take this meal in the same vein of the captives of Israel, we're to be reminded of our captivity, but what God has done to deliver us. In verse 26, Moses reminds the people that there would come a time when the children would say to you, what do you mean by this service? What do you mean by this? That there would come a time when the next generation would rise up and say, why are we taking this meal? What are we doing? What's the purpose of this Passover meal? What is the purpose of taking this unleavened bread and eating it? It's that moment as parents, you got to have that opportunity to pour into your kids and just say, you're not going to believe this story. Right? There was a, there's a moment that we were in captivity for 40 years. And let me tell you, first of all, there was blood in the water. Can you imagine as a parent getting to tell that story? What a story, right? And then, and then frogs were everywhere, right? There were just frogs. And then locusts came up in flies and gnats. Do you imagine getting to tell your kids that you were there? You got to experience all that God did. Imagine telling your kids that you walked across on dry land as the Red Sea was parted. What an incredible story that you would tell to God's victory and deliverance from your captivity. That when you were a captive and you could not do anything about your captivity, that there God stepped into their story and he delivered them. In much the same way as we take the Lord's Supper, we're doing exactly the same thing. That Jesus, on the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper, what were they celebrating together as the disciples? But the Passover. And here they are, the disciples in the upper room, celebrating the Passover, obviously pointing to that day and time that Jesus would come to take away our sins, to be the truer and better blood over the doorpost that would save those people from their sins. So this is why we institute a memorial day. This is why we take the Lord's Supper. So as often as we take it, we're reminded of what God has done. 
A few weeks ago, I got the joy of being in London with Thomas and Elizabeth West, who you know our church faithfully supports their church plant there in London. And our last day, we took time to go around and take a Christian heritage tour of London to look at the churches and these massive buildings and hear all the stories of what God had faithfully done in London. One of the last stops on this tour was to John Newton's church. Many of you know John Newton. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, one of the most popular and familiar and uh, just amazing hymns of our vernacular. And so John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace because John Newton was obviously in need of God's amazing grace. He had been a terrible slave trader, just a, a horrible man, as he would own claim by himself that he was a wretch that was saved by God's grace. He was on a boat headed back when God radically saved John Newton, and he penned the words of amazing grace. And there I stood in John Newton's church, and I got to go up in John Newton's pulpit and stand there for a moment. And it was at that moment that I remembered a story that was told from our pulpit many years ago by Alan Cross. Alan Cross shared that John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, discipled a man named John Ryland. John Ryland, a very famous English theologian and pastor, John Ryland discipled, trained, and baptized a man by the name of Lee Compierre. Lee Compierre came from London to America, and he planted the First Baptist Church of Montgomery, Alabama, as a mission to the Creek Indians. And there I stood in John Newton's church. There's about 30 pews in this massive church, but very few pews in this church. John Newton's church that had a direct link and tie to First Baptist Church of Montgomery, Alabama. It's remarkable. And that story, hearing that man tell that story of how me standing in this church in London, far across the face of this earth, telling about how he had discipled John Ryland, who poured into John Lee Compierre, who founded First Baptist Church as a mission to the Creek Indians. But stories have incredible power as you set up these memorials and reminders of the faithfulness of God's people doing what God has called them to do. As we look back at our church's history, as you walk down the hall of pastors and you see God's faithful hand at work, it lights your heart with passion and joy, seeing his hand at work over and over and over and over on his people. So in a moment, as we take these elements, as you remember your captivity, as you remember that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, as you hold that little wafer in your hand and that little pack of juice in your hand, in the same line of the Israelites, look back on who you were. What God has done to change you and make you whole. All the things that he has done to shape you and mold you into his image. The Sunday school teachers, those who share the gospel with you. Those parents and grandparents who continue to pour Jesus into you. It's a beautiful thing. If we're not careful, we can just think this is how it's always been. This is just who we are. We've always came to know Jesus. But God has saved you and me, as we take these elements, we remember our captivity, but we reflect on the joy of his deliverance. So would you would, if you would pray with me, and then I'll lead us through this time of taking the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the joy that we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a faith family. Lord, as we hold this little packet and this little wafer of bread in our hands, we're reminded that your body was willingly given for us. We thank you 
We praise you, Lord, for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do into our future. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, we see Jesus set up the Lord's Supper and institute the Lord's Supper as a remembrance. And he says, For I received from the Lord, but I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So then, let a person examine himself and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. At this time, I would ask you to peel back that thin piece of plastic and just hold that little wafer of bread in your hand. Brother Jonathan is going to come and sing for us a song. And while that song is being sung, I pray that you would take this moment as a moment of personal reflection and examination of your heart. Maybe there's things that simply don't need to be in your heart. And in this moment, you just need to confess your sin and thank the Lord for his deliverance. In these moments, as Jonathan sings, this is not a moment just to fill a slot in our service. This is a moment given for you to take time to reflect in your heart and examine the goodness of of the Lord to save us and to redeem us. So now as Jonathan sings, use this moment now to examine your heart. Oh! 
Jonathan, as you hold that piece of bread in your hands. There may be a part of you that maybe you've messed up so many times and you've fallen short so many times that you think, surely God couldn't, surely God wouldn't. As you hold that wafer in your hand, this is a reminder that God willingly, that Jesus willingly gave himself for you. There wasn't hesitation in his heart. There wasn't, maybe I shouldn't. You know, I don't think that they deserve it. He willingly endured the cross. He willingly took not just a portion of our sins, but he took the full weight of our sins on the cross. And so as you hold this wafer, it's a reminder of his body that was willingly given for you. Let that word process all in your heart, that his body willingly given for you. Willingly laid down for you. Willingly poured out for you. This body willingly endured the cross to save you from a debt that we could not pay. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. On the Passover night that they were celebrating the memorial of God's deliverance of his people from captivity. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they took the bread. In the same way, if you would carefully peel back that piece of foil and expose the, the juice that's underneath, and as Will plays so beautifully, amazing grace, let this be a moment of remembrance of what we've just talked about. God's deliverance from sin, his release from captivity. And celebrate as you hear amazing grace played, the amazing grace that he has given to each of us.
now we see. We were dead and now we are alive. One of the great things about the Lord's Supper is that we do this celebration together. We take these elements together. There's none of us who are here who have been saved by God's grace. When the elements are passed out, do we say, you know, I don't, I don't need that. I'm good to go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm, I've got, I'm taken care of. I'm fine. I don't, I don't need to take the elements. I'm fine. As a church, we recognize that we all need this grace. We all need that reminder, the tangible reminder that we are saved by his grace. There's not a point that we say, hey, we're good. We got it all figured out. I'm good on my sin, sin game. I'm fine. I've got it figured out. No, we are constantly coming back to the throne of grace, humbled by our, our need constantly of it. And so it's a reminder to me as I stand on the stage and look around that as we take these elements together, we are all in the same boat. All of us have the same problem when we found our solution in Jesus. It's a matter if you think that you have sinned and fallen short, look to the person left to you. They've sinned and fallen short too. But they've been justified as a gift that has come through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so we take these elements to be reminded that through these elements, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he has washed us white as snow. Not splotchy, not still got some sin on us, but washed us white as snow. Let's take stock of what he has done. He's not just cleaned you up good enough to make it into heaven. He's not just cleaned enough good enough to make it on through. He has washed you white as snow. Why his grace is so difficult to comprehend the height, the width, the depth of it because he has washed us white, white as snow. And so we take this full of celebration in our hearts this Memorial Day to be reminded that though we do not deserve it, he has willingly given it. So in the same way that we took the bread and took the cup on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup. He said, as often as you do, do this in remembrance of me. And they took the cup. And as we come to the conclusion of our time together, Ed's going to come and lead us in a final hymn of invitation, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. We've sung this several times as we've been outside, but it just feels so right, again, to be reminded of these central words, some of the strongest words for invitation, grace greater than our sin. And we do know and believe and reflect on that His grace is greater and far greater abundance than our sin. And we're not just swimming a little bit on the tide of His grace, and we're not just floating somehow surviving, that we are swimming in the ocean of His grace, and it is boundless and it is endless. And so today, be reminded of the height, the width, the depth of His grace over you. That His grace is greater and far more sufficient than your sin. And so let's stand and let's sing together. The words are there in your order of service. Grace greater than our sin. And if you have a decision that you need to make today, I'll be right here at the front to receive you. Let's stand and let's sing together. <laughs>